sit back, relax. You're listening to the Lazy Procrastination Podcast. I'm Sophie, and this is The Big Sleep. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Bookworm series. Today, I'm going to talk about bookshelves and home libraries. I'm not at a point in my life where I can call my um, home library a library. It's a bookshelf, but I really like it. And I've just moved houses and I now have a garden, which is revolutionary and I can't shut up about it because I've never had a garden. My grandma has a garden and obviously I've been in gardens, but I've never had one that was attached to my permanent house. I mean, as permanent as renting this economy can be, but I guess I've never had having a garden be something that's ordinary. It's always been something that was linked to being on holidays or like visiting friends. And this one's mine. So I'm really excited about it. It's also a lovely, light and airy house. I can't complain about the house I had in London this year, where I spent a lot of time, obviously, because of lockdown. It was really nice for the price we paid on a house in London. But like, it didn't have a living room because the living room was a bedroom, it was my bedroom. And um, it didn't have as much space or like outdoor space. And at the end, I felt a little bit claustrophobic in it because I'd spent so much time in the same space, in the same two, three rooms. Plus it was the joys of renting in London. So we had leaks everywhere and the plumbing was terrible. And there was no pressure in the shower. I've been thinking a lot about kind of like this economy of renting that we're in where it's really encouraged for young people to move all the time, basically to rent a place for one year, two tops and then move. Because at the end, like if your contract's one year at the end, the price can go up again. There's no like rent freeze or I don't know how you would call that. Just in general, how everyone I know has to move really often, relatively often. And that's of course when you're in the immensely privileged position of being able to I mean afford rent in London but it's it's odd like I was thinking when we were moving I was thinking of the waste that it generates of the things that you have to throw away or leave behind that you wouldn't necessarily have to otherwise but because you have to move and because often we're, we don't have a car so we're not moving properly um, things just get wasted and if you don't want to, you have to like ask. We had to ask the most ridiculous things to our agency. Like, can we leave the drying rack? Because we had to buy one when we arrived. The house is completely empty. And obviously you want to get your deposit. And like at the end, you never have enough space to move with all your stuff. So, and the next house might not have the same. So like I, I bought really opaque curtains at the beginning of the year because I couldn't sleep in my old house. Which oddly enough, I can't really sleep in the morning here either. Which is letting me to believe that... um. Landlords in the UK are in a constant battle to prevent their tenants from sleeping in the morning. Why would you build or like, why would you invest in this one has um, rolling blinds, but they, <laughs> it's not dark. And the other one I had, they used to have like quasi transparent curtains until I bought those amazing Ikea curtains that I hope the new tenant appreciates because <laughs> I had to leave them behind. It's not like I could have put them anywhere here. But yeah, why would you build a house and like, design the window cover but not ensure that it makes everything dark. I'm very very curious to know if anyone else has made the same observation or if it's just me <laughs> and my um, sample of two. But anyways I really digress. I've moved. I am now settled 
here in Cambridge, I'm waiting for the results of my dissertation so I can then send them in and be enrolled in my PhD program, which I think will be entirely on Zoom, which is odd. But um, it also means that I'm really glad that I like this house so much because I'm going to spend quite a lot of time here, I think. And the reason why I started thinking about bookshelves and like your own library is that the only piece of furniture I own. That's really funny. I was calling my dad earlier and I haven't talked to him in a little while because he's in Senegal with my family. And he was like, I was showing him my room and he was like, okay, so what belongs to you in this room? Um, he was talking about furniture. And I was like, well, these two mirrors, one that's his that I really love um, and one that belonged to Sarah, my flatmate that you all heard in the YA episode. And if you haven't listened to the YA episode, go listen to it. I've had um, very positive feedback where people say it was really joyful to listen to um, because we were all slightly unhinged talking about young adult literature. It was really fun to record and I think it's probably quite fun to listen to. So yeah, Sarah had bought a mirror in the, she had it in the old house and she couldn't take it with her because she was moving as well. She was moving countries so she couldn't bring, bring it with her, which I don't know, I get really attached to objects, um, which is going to link to. The last thing that was mine in my bedroom, which is my Ikea bookshelf, which first of all, I'm really proud of myself because I took it all apart and then I put it all back together and it's not even that wobbly. It's all good. I'm really proud. I bought it on Gumtree at the beginning of the year in London because I didn't have a bookshelf there. Um, and I like went to Canary Wharf and bought it for like five pounds, I think, and then hauled it back on the bus all the way it's quite light it's big it's taller than me but it's quite light and hold it back to um to my house and it was getting it got more and more filled up throughout this year and I thought it would be interesting to discuss well I don't know if it would be interesting but I wanted to discuss books as objects that you carry with you and kind of designing your bookshelf and also different like home libraries and yeah what ends up in your in your bookshelf especially when you're moving loads like I am like um, if I think of last year, all of my flatmates, we all ended up doing kind of what I did and buying a cheap bookshelf somewhere to like put everything together, even though it was probably going to have to stay behind. Um, and I mean, I'm sure everybody or a lot of people do that. I thought I would talk about it and then maybe like pull a couple of specific books to talk about and to recommend. Yeah, I also think it's really interesting to see how different people organize their bookshelves so mine is um it's not really organized it's mostly by collections and then I've got um I've got some big hardback books on the top shelf I've got some poetry which I will return to um then I've got all my novels that are not hardbacks uh on the second shelf third shelf is graphic novels and and other um bandesini, I guess um, a lot of them are gifts, so that's why I have them with me. And then my last shelf is uh, my kind of more academic, well, I was going to say academic, but it's all feminist books almost, so it's my feminist books. And then um, a little mix of random stuff that um, often I've brought back when I came back from spending a little bit of time at home, at my parents' home. So yeah, but so that's what my bookshelf looks like here. Um, at home in Paris, it's not really, we don't really have bookshelves. We have 
shelves that run along the upper wall of our house everywhere I mean there's a bookshelf in the corridor like when you enter the house um but that's that's my dad's books and then so there's like a bunch of Qurans and there's some guides if you go up some like travel guides and various children books I'm, I'm visualizing it as I speak and random things there's a lot of things in my house but it's kind of like here I think we get quite attached at least I get that from my dad my mom's quite good at throwing things away but <laughs> we're not um and then in other corridors and in my bedroom um there are shelves that run along the top of the walls and piles of book on there and um I didn't get to spend much time at home this year obviously <laughs> corona but I did go back for just a couple of days um, before I went to see my grandmother in Brittany. And then I had to shorten my stay because of the new quarantine rules. And I saw those books and I just thought, like, I, it got me thinking again about this permanent moving because I was thinking, when when is it going to be the right moment for me to, you know, save up and then put all these books in a box and send them to the UK if I'm going to stay in the UK or wherever I'm going to end up living and, like, is that the moment where I'm going to feel like I've properly moved or where I'm probably, sorry, properly settled? I think it might be because there are two things really that would mark that moment, I think, for me. Um, the one is that I have one piece of furniture that my grandma gave me when I turned 18. It's a big, oh, it's called une malle in French. I don't know what it's called in English. It's like a big wooden box that they used to have on sheep, ships ships boats <laughs> I can't say that word they used to have them on boats um to carry their stuff it's like an oldie suitcase and all of the grandchildren got one when we turned 18 so actually not all of us because we're not all 18 but it's still at my grandma's because I can't have it but I feel like the moment where I'll I'll feel like I have a house that's mine and it's a home I can make it into a home is when I um bring all my books from Paris and bring that one box. That can be, I think it'll be a lovely coffee table or something. Or a bench. I'm really, as you can see, I've been speak, speaking, I've been thinking about home quite a lot. Also because I'm still alone in this house, my flatmates haven't arrived. There's going to be six of us at the end, but so far it's only me. And it's really nice to have that space. I'm making my own little retreats. Um, I haven't spoken to many people. I spoke to the neighbor who said that surely I was going to work less than the doctor, vet's because all my other flatmates are vets. And it was like, oh, I'm so happy that we're going to have vets. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not a vet. I'm a sociologist. It was like, oh, surely you don't work as much as them. I was like, well, joke's on you, sir, because um, work is actually exploitation and I don't believe in it. I really digress. It's a chatty one today. It's fine. But yeah, I started thinking about kind of what books are on this sh shelf and like how they ended up here. Um, and I mean, there's a non-neglectable amount that is things that I was gifted. Um, and then there's also, a, <laughs> I would say it's a neglectable amount, but like books that I just randomly grab whenever I go home. And I don't know why I've done this also throughout undergrad. I just like go home and then I see a book and I'm like, I need it. And I'm like, wow, I actually like really want that book, mom, can I borrow it? And then I end up with those really big books that I objectively don't need to have with me. and don't really like need to read. Uh, but I guess 
I don't know. They're nice. They make me feel grounded. Um, so like in this current selection, I have a Lonely Planet guide about Andalusia from like 2010 that I asked my mom to send me when I went to Andalusia in January, which was my last trip abroad, which was really nice in the before world. Um, and then I've got like a couple of yoga books that I've picked up because I'm trying really hard to start exercising again. Well, not exercising, just like stretching <laughs> and not being pain. And then I have a Wolof manual or like, yeah, manual, like a, a textbook to learn Wolof. That is from the 80s and that's quite funny um, from the couple of pages that I've read because it's a lot of hypothetical dialogues that are in French and in Wolof so you can learn it, but <laughs> it's funny. But anyways, and then yeah, gifts and then and then books that are mine. But um, some that I've read before, but I just like to have with me, and then some more random ones. But yeah, when we're talking about how people organize their bookshelves, I think it's so interesting because, like, for instance, on like Bookstagram or people who have loads of books. Um, for instance, my friend Amy who runs Batform that I've talked about before, she just color coded her entire bookshelf. She looks very aesthetic, and obviously she works in publishing, so she has so many books. And then my boyfriend, he is very organized. So his books are all organized by like type and kind of like alphabetically as well, I think. And then potentially collection, languages as well. And in his house, they have such an, his parents' house, they have such an impressive library because when you walk in, it's a long corridor and then the wall is covered in books. Um and then same, like, it's as if you were at the public library because everything's organized by category and um, alphabetically as well and languages and everything. And I really like it. And then he did this thing that I find extremely creepy. or not creepy, but, like, I'm just scared that the books are going to fall on my head. He surrounded his bed. So on both ends of the bed, there's a bookshelf full of books. And I feel like, yeah, one day it's going to crush his head I hope it doesn't happen I mean to be fair he's not there that often so yeah and actually talking about like really impressive libraries something I love to see is people's bookshelves um like famous people people I like and admire um and I was when I was preparing this episode I was thinking about people whose bookshelves I, I can like think about um and I could only think of French people but there was um Sophie Fontenelle who has this really cool well she also has the bookshelf wall but um there's a lot of pictures of it on on instagram and they're really cool um i shared one of her books in my stories in august and it has been translated i can't remember what the title was in english let me google that quickly i really hated how they did the cover of that book in english because it, they made it seem very like chick lit e um not that that's necessarily a bad thing it's just that it's really not it makes it seem really like light and yeah chiclet kind of like mid-2000s style when really the book is kind of very like meditative med meditative <laughs> and um it's a reflection on not having sex voluntarily because you don't want to and kind of people's reactions around that when like you put your sex life on hold and you talk about it and somehow you're so fulfilled and kind of yeah how people feel about that it was a great book in english i just checked it's called the art of sleeping alone so yeah if you find it it's a really quick read i recommend 
Uh, and in that book, at some point, she talks about how she threw away all of her books um, because she needed a big overhaul. And then her neighbor came and was like, oh, I picked them up. Um, and she was terrified that she'd come to like give them back to her. But actually, she came to thank her because she said, now I have all these new books and I know that those are books that you loved. So they're not just any books, they have meaning. So that was nice. I don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> but it was interesting. So she has a great bookshelf. And then Augustin Trapenard, who's this French journalist who is on the radio. Everyone's going to, like, I can already hear some of my friends making fun of me when they listen to this. But he has this really cool library, which is the same. Like, it's all the walls in his apartment are covered in books. He's a radio journalist. Um, and he's a really great interviewer. He has an, a show called Boomerang on France Inter. And he, he's a really good interviewer. Um, and yeah, he has this video with like like one of the short um, where he like jumps like Spider-Man around his bookshelf. It's very impressive. It's kind of, it, it, I have this really, um, this like life aspiration. I don't want that much. Although now I'm starting to want a garden now that I've lived here and a bathtub and all those like, fantastic things that seem to be common in English houses but are not in Paris houses although I'm thinking I'd be better off in the country lockdown completely changed my perspective on everything I'm like now I need a garden and yeah my aspiration in whichever shape or form the actual apartment is is to have that kind of like big bookshelf or like big library um and that reminded me when I was thinking about that of a text that was written exactly a year ago um, by Paul B. Preciado, who's a Spanish philosopher. Um, he's a, he thinks a lot about gender and um, yeah, questions of kind of like identity. Um, he's a trans man. And he, he has a book called Testo Junkie, um, which is about kind of like testosterone, <laughs> the hormone, and a reflection around that. He has another one that is actually on this bookshelf that I just bought. I couldn't find it. I wanted my mom to borrow it for me at the public library in France because it was first published in French. He lives and writes a lot in France. But um, she couldn't find it because it was out of all the libraries that had it. So I ended up buying it in English. Um, so yeah, I got it. It's called An Apartment on Uranus, and I haven't read it yet, but um, I will be sure to report once I have. And he wrote this text on a library called Library Love, and um, it's really nice. It's translated, it's in French and in English, so I will um, link it somewhere so you can all read it if you'd like. It's not a really long read but it's really cool it's basically about how every single relationship has its own library and how libraries are built by several people and by like your life but also yeah about how he kind of talks about the law of the good neighbor and how things fit together and it's it's amazing I mean the whole thing is worth reading but um I want to read just like a couple of passages um and then you can go read it for yourself I don't know if that's gonna work well in the podcast but I think it might be nice um so here it goes 
He wrote that a library is a material biography written in the words of others, made up of the accumulation and order of the different books that someone has read in their lifetime. In addition, and although this may seem paradoxical or unpleasant to those professionally engaged in writing, but it is good news for booksellers, to build a library as a biography, one should count those books owned without having ever been read, those that rest on shelves or wait on tables but have never been opened or looked at, either entirely or partially. In a biography, unread books are indicators of frustrated desires, fleeting wishes, broken friendships, unsatisfied vocations, secret depressions that hide behind the appearance of overwork and lack of time. They are sometimes masks that the false reader wears to emit literary signals aimed at triggering the sympathy or complicity of other readers. At other times, as on an Instagram page, only the cover, the author's name, or even the title of the book count. The unread books are a capsule which contains unrealized futures, concentrated pieces of time, indicating a direction that life could have taken but did not, or that it might still take. So... That's something that kind of stuck with me. And then there was another one because he wrote about how, kind of about the importance. So he had, a, he was in a relationship with Virginie Desventes, who's a French feminist writer, for a long time. Um, they're no longer together. But he writes a lot about kind of the mutual insemination of their libraries and how their libraries just moved and kind of, yeah, melted, fused into one and melted into each other. And how, like, when they put all the books together with them, even when they broke up, they weren't able to really, like, break up the library. So that was really nice. And, uh, yeah, I really recommend reading it. It's great. So my own library, if I look at um, what Preciado is talking about in terms of what the books that are not read say about us, I guess there's a couple that I haven't opened, even though that this one is like small, but um, well, yeah, I'll start with that. There's the poetry. I desperately wish to be someone who reads poetry and I'm not. I don't know why. It just doesn't it doesn't stuck. It doesn't work for me. I've really enjoyed studying poetry when I was in school. Um, I thought it was outrageous when the Tories proposed this year that poetry would be made um, either like just deleted from the English curriculum or made optional. I don't remember what their proposition was, but anyways, the argument was that it's not helpful. So why should it be mandatory? And I think it's such bullshit because for me, studying poetry at school was the only thing that enabled me to learn how to enjoy poetry because again I don't spontaneously read it and being able to kind of like unpack first of all just like learning poetry at school primary school when you have to learn it by heart and illustrate it um that was just that was really nice and enjoyable but then properly diving into it and studying it and also studying some theater as poetry when I was in high school that some of the, the best like kind of memories I have and, and to think about symbolism and to think about how the power of words through poetry I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it spontaneously but doing it with kind of the guidance or like the necessity to really delve and study it was so helpful 
But anyways, I want to, I would love to be someone who actually reads poetry. So I got a couple of books this year. Um, I got a book of Leonard Cohen's poetry because I love his music so much. And also the book was beautiful. Um, and then when we went to Spain at the beginning of the year with my boyfriend, who is Argentine, I got two books of Spanish poetry or Spanish language poetry. I got one by um, Garcia Lorca and one by Pablo Neruda. And I have read two pages of these over the year because I can't, like if anyone has the, the key to make me be a poetry reader, I beg you share because... I, I like I, I can recognize nice poetry. Um, sometimes we have to like read poems, obviously for a bad form. People submit poetry, and I enjoy reading it. But I just I can't. I don't know how do people read poetry. Please let me know. And then I have this book by um, Arthur Rimbaud that I think I just had at home. I probably bought it for school and I brought it with me. Um, so yeah, those are books that I haven't read. And what they say about me is that I'm someone who wants to read poetry, but I'm not someone who reads poetry. Um, and then I have a couple of books that were gifted to me that I haven't read yet. More for lack of time or more because in the first episode, I said that I don't like to force myself to read a book because I think that at some point you like fall in the moment of reading them. And so that's kind of where I'm at with these ones. I keep them on my shelves and I hope that at some point I'm going to read them. Um, I, and I will. I think I'm going to have more time to read, hopefully, or more like energy to read now. So um, also I'm always buying new books, <laughs> which is bad. Like when I um, went to Brittany, we just spent two days at a friend's, Liu. If you're listening, hi. And we found this amazing secondhand bookshop where all the books were tears. And I got out of there with like six or seven new books. Like one that I've already read by Daniel Pinac called Comme un roman, which is amazing. I don't know if it's been translated. It's about reading as a concept and it's incredible. It's such a good book. Everyone should read it. <sighs> Has it been translated? It has been translated. Oh my God. Okay, it's called... The Rights of the Reader in English. There's a PDF. Oh, it's just a PDF of the foreword. Hmm. Okay, this is amazing. In English, it has been illustrated by Quentin Blake. And so the foreword is by Quentin Blake. If you can find this book at your local library at anything, just please read it. I read it a couple of years ago. My boyfriend had it. I was visiting, we were visiting his parents in Madrid and he gave it to me because I said I'd never re read it. And I read it in one go on the plane coming back. And that was, oh, it's so good. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, if there's one thing you take from this Rambly episode is to read this incredible book by Daniel Pinak on reading. Kind of, yeah, the rights of the reader. That's an interesting translation. Yeah, so that's the book I read, for instance, um, and that I bought because I didn't have my own copy and I wanted to have one because it was so good. And then, uh, without any specific order, some that I have but haven't read yet uh, because either I just like bought them or I've had them for a while but haven't read them. There's my friend Gabriel who listens to the episodes I know, so hi Gabriel. <laughs> um, he got me this book by Chesterton called The Man Who Was Thirsty. And I've been wanting to read it. I've taken it with me so many times and I don't know why it hasn't clicked yet. I will read it at some point because I'm determined to read it. But I haven't yet. It's a really cool, it's a really nice um, vintage penguin edition. Not 
vintage the penguin publishing house like it's vintage like it's old <laughs> um i got john didion's the year of magical thinking because a lot of people have told me that it's a uh, or rather not told me i've heard a lot of people and read a lot of reviews saying that it's one of the best books about grief um and my grandmother passed away this year so yeah i but that but i haven't really read it yet because i'm not sure that i'm ready but i will get to it at some point other ones that i have but haven't read yet i've got audrey lord's autobiography in that one i'm actually going to read like in one of the next ones another thing is that now because of um platform i have books to review sometimes so like right now i was in between books and i finally moved um and i just got a book to review for an interview next week so i like hurried up and started reading this one it's really good i'm not sure i can talk about it yet but once um it's out i'll share it so that's exciting um so that's yeah that's then it kind of takes the priority over other books that i wish i'd read um something else i got for my birthday this year i got colson whitehead the underground railroad and i really want to read it again but same i haven't found the time yet so yeah a couple of novels um on the other shelves i've read most of everything oh no i have another one by Liv. Oh, I don't know her name, Strömkist, that I bought because I buy not everything, but a lot of things that Digli, who is a French um, illustrator and author, recommends. Because, well, first of all, I love her style. And I also kind of tend to like, I don't know if I agree, I just really respect her opinion. So I, and she was raving about this book. Okay, I'll live Strömkist is her name. I don't know if I said it right. I probably haven't. And I'm having a look to see if it's been translated in English, but I can't find it. But it's a book about love. Um, it's been translated in French. It's called La Rose la plus rouge s'épanouit in French. And it's about love. And I haven't finished it, but I really want to read it because Tigui said it was great. Um, while I'm on the topic of illustrated books, one that I have read and that is really amazing um, and really fun. Amy got it to me for my birthday this year. It's called How to Have Feminist Sex by Flo Perry. Ooh, she's from East London. I was from East London for a year. And that's really fun and lovely. And it has really great information in it. If you're looking for gifts, you can give that to someone. It's also a nice book. Like it could almost be a coffee table book. And let me pick one that's on my feminist shelf that I haven't read. Ooh, this one I got. Um, in a secondhand shop in Amsterdam. It's Roxen Gay's Bad Feminist. And I don't know why I haven't read it yet. Because I think it's kind of past its moment, isn't it? Like it was a big moment. It was a big book a while back. But I think, I don't know. Maybe it's, that's why I haven't turned to it yet. But I'll read it and I'll make my own opinion. I don't know if I'm going to like it. And then what else? I've got Sexuality in a Field of Vision that I bought in a Verso, Verso sale because of Verso, the publishing house, always has incredible sales. Actually, they have one right now and I'm probably going to buy even more books. Um, yeah, they always make those crazy sales and they have really interesting books. So that's another recommendation for you to have a little bit of money to spend. Go get that. And then the other things that aren't books that are on my bookshelf. I have a candle, a lavender candle that I bought at the Jammy pop-up shop earlier this summer. Uh, Jammy's this um, repertory of black British-owned businesses. Black-owned British businesses, small businesses. Um, it's a lavender candle. I think it's going to smell delicious. And then I've got Prince by Jiggly. 
because I love her work, as I said. So I got them um, <laughs> every, every year. Or she didn't last year, I don't think. But for a while, she did um, in for Inktober on Instagram. She illustrated poetry by women. And then she sold prints and I managed to get it's really small prints um, and they weren't that expensive, but they're really the first like pieces of art that I got for myself. Um, and they're beautiful it's illustrations of uh, women and people with quotes. And they're really, they're kind of witchy. They have stars and moons and they're black and white and golden. And I really love them. I'll put a picture up in the story. Um, and the last thing I have is the my graduation gift from my parents, which is an original print of a Cartier-Bresson picture, Henri Cartier-Bresson, the photographer. And um, yeah, same, they do a, a sale every year, I think, where they're, they're sold for like a reasonable price, um, the, the pictures. And um, it's a picture of someone protesting the Vietnam War, and I really love it. And then... I've got some fake cacti <laughs> that were Sarah's, but now they're mine <laughs> because she couldn't take them back. And I want real plants. I will have real plants in this house. But yeah, <laughs> I'm really scared. I kill plants, okay? And I really don't want to... I don't know. I I forget the ones that are on my bookshelf. So I'm going to get proper big plants or not big, just plants that I am conscious, consciously getting and that I will consciously care for. And um, in the meantime, I have those fake plans. So yeah, that's my bookshelf. And that's it for today because, wow, I've been rambling on for a long time. Um, I'll put, as always, all the recommendations in the podcast notes. Um, I'll share a couple of pics in the Insta story when I release this episode. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, if you did, please share it with your friends. Rate us on um uh, us, it's just me, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps to have good um, ratings. And um, also let me know that you've listened. Like, give me a little shout out. No, a shout. Talk to me. Message me. I'm here. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'll talk about next week. I hope that soon enough I'm going to be able to have some guests on to talk about a cool topic, which you probably will guess from this episode and I'm really excited about that um and I'm gonna go and enjoy my garden because it's sunny and it probably won't be sunny for that long lots of love to everybody out there and I will talk to you soon bye